0: This is the PKD Black Box, episode ten. This episode of The PKD Black Box is brought to you by the Zuda comic The Thunder Chickens. The Thunder Chickens is a coming-of-age tale that explores the relationship between fathers and sons. Though its characters are animals, The Thunder Chickens is filled with truths that speak to the experiences of both teens and parents. It is a story of wit, adventure, and emotional resonance that we think people of all ages will enjoy. You can read The Adventures of the Thunder Chickens on zudacomics.com, www.zootocomics.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy. This week's episode is all about comic book conventions. Um, the do's and don'ts, um, tips for purchasing art or sketches, uh, bin diving, everything that we can possibly think of when it comes to comic book conventions we're going to talk about on this episode um, i'm joined with john carroll and also special guest ian levenstein he is the host of the comic timing podcast which is actually hit their 100th episode congratulations to ian and the comic timing podcast so we'll be talking about conventions today but before we do that i got a couple other things that i want to talk to you about first <laughs> As of late, the PKD Black Box podcast has been getting a lot of uh, positive buzz across uh, podcast nation and across the internet. And recently, um, in the 59th episode of Teenage Wasteland, um, that's a comic book and pop culture podcast hosted by Alec Barry, uh, he and special guest uh, Joey Alicio, uh mentioned the PKD Black Box and gave us a lot of props and respect uh, for what we what we've done so far. And, and uh, we were not we were in their best of two thousand and nine. Um, podcast category. So I wanted to take a moment out to say thank you for that. It, you know we we appreciate the props and you know and you know we appreciate the respect that y'all give to us. Also, um we were also mentioned recently on the Geek Savants podcast where we've been mentioned numbers of times on Comic Book Road Show, The Fixers Hideout, um, Comic Geek Speak. I mean, if if I didn't name your podcast, please charge it to my head, and not my heart. I, I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. And we're glad everybody's digging the show. Um, you know, we're not going anywhere anytime soon. We're going to keep doing this. I will let you know that once convention season starts uh, for PKD Media, convention season is uh, essentially March through uh, July. Once convention season starts, uh, this podcast may become bi-weekly, But until then, until I say, this, um, the PKD Black Box will be a weekly podcast. <laughs> my favorite singers uh, passed away last week. Um, legendary, legendary vocalist, uh, R&B singer Teddy Pendergrass died at the age of 59. He died of colon cancer. A majority of Teddy Pendergrass's popularity was started in the early 70s and lasted until the early 80s. Career was somewhat thwarted by a car crash in 1982, but he still continued to perform even though he was paralyzed from the waist down. As a matter of fact, I have an article by the Associated Press I wanted to read uh, to you, giving you a little bit more of background on Teddy Pendergrass, and I'll say some thoughts at the end of this. It's an Associated Press article written by Nikisa Mumbi. R&B singer Teddy Pendergrass, who was one of the most electric and successful figures in music until a car crash 28 years ago left him in a wheelchair, has died of colon cancer. He was 59. Pendergrass died Wednesday in suburban Philadelphia, where he had been hospitalized for months. The singer's son, Teddy Pendergrass II, said his father underwent colon cancer surgery eight months ago and had a difficult recovery. Before the crash, Pendergrass established a new era of R&B with an explosive, raw voice that symbolized masculinity, passion, and the joys and sorrow of romance in such songs as Close the Door, It Don't Hurt Now, Love TKO, and other hits that have since become classics. He was an international superstar and sex symbol his career was at its apex and still climbing. Friend and longtime collaborator Kenny Gamble of the renowned production duo Gamble and Huff teamed with Pendergrass on his biggest hits and recalled how the singer was even working on a movie. He had about 10 platinum albums in a row, so he was, ve- he was a very, very successful recording artist and performing artist, Gamble said Thursday. He had a tremendous career ahead of him, and the accident sort of got in the way of many of those plans. Pendergrass, who was born in Philadelphia in 1950, suffered a spinal cord injury in a 1982 car accident that left him paralyzed from the waist down. Still able to sing, but without his signature power. The image of the strong viral lover was replaced with one that drew sympathy. But instead of becoming bitter or depressed, Pendergrass created a new uh, created a new identity that as a role model, Gamble said, he never showed me that he was angry at all about his incident. Gamble said in a telephone interview with the Associated Press. In fact, he was very courageous. Pendergrass left a remarkable imprint on the music world as he ushered in a new new era in R&B with his fiery, sensual, and forceful brand of soul and his ladies' man image, burnished by his strikingly handsome looks. Gamble said Pendergrass was one of a kind as an artist and boasted a powerful voice and a great magnetism. He was a great baritone singer, and he had a real smooth sound, but he had a real rough sound, too, when he wanted to exert power in his voice, Gamble said. But it wasn't Pendergrass's voice that got him his break in the music business. It was his drum-playing abilities. He met Harold Melvin, who was looking for replacement members for his group, The Blue Notes, and signed on to be the drummer. Later, he became the lead singer of the group, which became known as Harold Melvin and The Blue Notes. The band started working with Gamble and Leon Huff and had signature hits in the early 1970s with Wake Up Everybody and If You Don't Know Me By Now. But Pendergrass had creative differences with Melvin and soon left for a solo career, according to his website. It was then he would become a sex symbol for the R&B genre, working women into a frenzy with hits such as Only You and concerts dedicated for ladies only. The females, Gamble said, love Teddy Pendergrass. The females were very attracted to him and his music. Unlike the songs of many of today's male R&B crooners, Pendergrass's music bordered on eroticism without explicit lyrics or coarse language, just through the raw emotion in his voice. Turn Off the Lights was the tune that perhaps represented the many moods of Pendergrass, tender and coaxing, yet strong as the song reaches, reaches its climax. Fans were devastated when, at age 31, Pendergrass was critically injured after his Rolls Royce hit a tree. He spent six months in a hospital and returned to recording the next year with the album Love Language. He continued to sing and record several albums, receiving Grammy nominations. To all his fans who loved his music, thank you, his son said. He will live on through his music. It was 19 years before Pendergrass resumed performing at his own concerts. He made his return on Memorial Day weekend in 2001 with two sold-out shows in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Gamble noted Pendergrass' charitable work for people with spinal cord injuries, his performances despite pain, and his focus on the positive in the face of great challenges. He used to say something in his act in the wheelchair. Don't let the wheelchair fool you, because he still proclaimed he was a lover, Gamble said. But his career was never the same. Gamble said it was difficult for Pendergrass to project vocally like he once did. The breathing aspect of it, he wasn't really able to deal with it. And while he had albums, he was no longer seen as a sex symbol, but more of a sympathetic, tragic figure, even though he still had a strong following among his core female fans. After the accident, he dedicated much of his life to helping others with spinal cord injuries and founded founded the Teddy Pendergrass Alliance to do just that. Gamble said he wanted to help others. In his quiet moments, he probably did a lot of reflection, but I never saw him pity himself. He stayed busy, Gamble said, but I feel that he's in a better place now. He doesn't have to go through that pain or whatever he was going through anymore. That was an article written by Nikisa Mumbi for the Associated Press about the late Teddy Pendergrass. I want to tag someone to the end of this. Teddy Pendergrass has probably one of the most distinct voices in the history of rhythm and blues or R&B music, however you want to say it. There aren't a lot of people like him. I mean, a lot of hip-hop castes have sampled his music. His voice is one of a kind. You know, I grew up with Teddy Pendergrass. I listened to him as a kid, even though I probably shouldn't have, but my, you know, my mother and father would play the records, and I would hear him. You know, I knew the lyrics to Close the Door by the time I was seven years old. But the thing is, is that This is the big difference between an artist like Teddy Pendergrass or artists like Luther Vandross. They are original. There were no clones of these dudes. And you don't really find that a lot with music nowadays. I mean, the way the industry works now, everything is very clone-specific. If somebody's got a hit, a a label will say, we got to find somebody just like that, mimic it, package it, and sell it so we can try to make some money off of it. Teddy Pendergrass didn't work like that. Music didn't work like that. Nobody can sing the songs Teddy Pendergrass sang back then. Nobody. There's only one person I know of that could cover a Teddy Pendergrass song, and that was simply read when he did his cover of If You Don't Know Me By Now. Besides that, anybody trying to cover a Teddy Pendergrass song is a weak, weak imitation. And, you know, nowadays, you know, we're in the new age of music, and i got a lot of respect for some of these new artists, but there are people that will say that a recording artist such as Jaheem is... You know, the you know, the 90s or, or I'm sorry, the 2000s, the tooth in the 2000s, he's the 2000 version of Teddy Pendergrass. And I just think that's bullshit for the simple fact that when Teddy Pendergrass came out, Teddy's voice and talent defined his persona and defined his image, whereas somebody like Jahim, who is talented and has a great voice, was packaged first. Get you know, make and they made sure they sold the thug persona and his image before they sold his voice and before they sold his music. It was image and persona before music. But with Teddy, it was the voice, the music, and everything else formed in its own entity later. It wasn't forced, and that's the difference. That's why there's only one Teddy Pendergrass, but there are a million weak ass Jason Derulo's. Those those cats can be cloned forever and won't leave a mark. You know, by next year you probably won't even know who Jason Derulo is and again you may not know who that motherfucker is right now. But my point is is that there's only one Teddy Pendergrass and that dude's a legend. Period. <laughs> As some of you may know, uh, myself, I write and publish comic books under the PKD Media banner. You'll see me at some c- comic book conventions this year, trying to sell the comic books that uh, PKD Media has created, along with some of uh, the artists I've worked with um, over over the last two years at these cons. Along alongside with me as we hustle and try to get our wares out there, but it's not just us in this in the, in the you know in these conventions there are other creators there are professionals from the big two creators indie creators small press creators comic book bins uh, from vendors for days toys bootleg videos <laughs> um video you know video games everything and anything well, i want to talk about you know convention stuff as far as dos and don'ts or how to's and things of that nature and as a matter of fact john i'll start with you because I experienced this firsthand with you while you were at North Con in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina last year with um, you purchasing artwork, whether it be sketches, pages, or, or what have you. What works for you as far as trying to get sketches or purchasing, purchasing art goes?
1: First thing that I can recommend, look and see who the artists are there and get an idea of their style. That way you know whether or not it is going to be something that you want to get them. I mean, make sure you tailor what your request is to the artist. To find out what their price is or determine how much you are willing to spend on a sketch. Some artists charge out the charge out the nose. Some don't. Some give you free if you uh, buy their book or buy something else. So I mean, talk to them because a lot of the smaller artists are – going to be free and available. Another recommendation, be willing to wait if you're going to be there for the whole weekend. Hit some of them up and, tell, and honestly say, if you can't get this to me until Sunday, that's fine. Check with them a couple times if and say if you need to mail this, you can mail it. If you do that, make sure you have a way of checking to see if the artist takes PayPal. A lot of them do. If they pay PayPal, that way you can wait until the uh, until you get the JPEG of the scanned image if you have to have it mailed to you. I know some artists, especially, will take pre-sketch orders from people. I mean, we do that with a lot of the guys that are on the CGS boards. That's no. what I'm going uh, with pages and stuff. I would always recommend people get there as soon as the con opens because if you're going to be buying pages, if it's uh, last year before the con officially opened, I mean, this was at, this was after they let in the three-day pass people. But before they let in the general public, Atomic Robo, the, two, the guys were there for that. They sold six of the ten pages to people off the bat uh, immediately. They sold them before. They sold them to the people who got in first. So, if you're looking for something, don't be surprised if other people want that same page from that artist. And yeah, that's gonna happen.
0: Yeah, that is true. Also. Um, what I noticed, um, there are certain artists where, depending on where, where you're at at the con or when you get in, they have a line before the show even starts.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, uh, I think it was years ago. I can never remember his name, but there were people who l- would wait all day, literally, because this rule was if you're in my line, you will get a sketch. Are you talking about an Ethan Van Sciver? It wasn't Van Skyver. this is two years ago, oh, two years ago. This is '08. can never remember his name, but he's known. He gives free sketches. He, he does about 15 to 20 a day, but you have to stay in line. If you're in, and basically, if you're in line on Friday, you better be in line on Sunday. <laughs> because if you're, 50, if you're number 50 in line, I mean it would, it, I mean, it really hurts you because I mean, he doesn't take numbers. He doesn't take you down on this list. If you're in the line, and that's the order you get there. That's the order you get there. Now, they do hold places in the line. So, like, if you're, like, number 20, but you wanted to go off and do something and come back, then you're still in your spot. But if you're not there when it's your turn to get up there, sorry, you just lost your chance.
2: Wow. It's like being at a deli with a really long line.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, this is a guy who's known for doing, like, uh, charging <clears throat> three to $400 for a sketch and getting it.
0: Huh. Yeah. What's the most you ever paid for for a sketch?
1: I'm not a huge sketch guy from the bigger name artists. I generally have Will pay, depending on the artist, anywhere from up to about sixty dollars. Now, I will buy some original art. I have bought art. I have bought some good pieces of art. I take it back. I have paid the most I've ever paid for a sketch is one hundred twenty-five dollars. Okay, and that was a uh, that was from Buzz, uh, and he he did me a Green Lantern, Captain America. Yeah, of course he did it all in. Buzz, which is, and if you know, if you know Buzz, he did it in a brush, which it meant it was beautiful. Now only the downside is it was black brush, so it couldn't color, but it was beautiful. I've got it framed and going to put it up in the next couple of days. Yeah. If, you're, if you're looking to buy original art, uh, the best go to the auctions. You'll be surprised what you get. I mean, you, uh, I got as a tana that was. How big do you think that was?
0: Are you talking about at Heroes Con last year? Yeah, um, that satana was wasn't
1: like to me. It seemed like a twenty by twenty. I don't think it was twenty across. I think I think it, I think it was like. I think it was like it, it, if it was twenty across, it had to be four. It had to be thirty-six feet. Okay, so that, let's black.
0: let's say about fifteen by twenty then.
1: Yeah, it was a big full-sized, and I was going to cut off at two hundred, and then it was like I paid I think two fifty for it, and I was amazed because it was it's a it is a beautiful piece of work but yeah so i mean that, that is another factor you may want to put into it if you buy original art if you do buy larger pieces of art and decide to have it framed you're gonna pay for a good framing shop to do it because a lot of this art is irregularly shaped and so you cannot buy you won't be able to buy a good stock frame to have it done you have to go actually pay to have it done and good framers do charge a good, good amount of money
0: This question I'll throw out to both of you guys we're talking Mm -hmm. about um, as far as, you know, getting art at shows, whether it be sketches or original art or pages or what have you. Over the years, you know, also like there are people have sketchbooks. The personalization of art for the individual is now to, to me, from what I can see, is at an all time high. I mean, people are bringing sketchbooks and asking for things that, you know, that you just can't get anywhere else. Or, you know, right. those type, those types of requests and things of that nature. Personalized art. Do you see this trend becoming even bigger over the next couple of years? Or has it always been like this? Because like I said, I, I just i just jumped back into conventions in 2008. So it was still new to me. I didn't understand what the, what the deal was as far as people getting sketches and whatnot. Never, you know, in my imagination I thought I could get, you know, something as crazy as Deadpool fighting... Um, Deathstroke, The Terminator, that type of stuff. You would never see that in a book, but I have a sketch of it here at my house. The need for personalized art, do you think that is something that is continuing to rise or has it always been this way?
2: Well, I, th- I think it really does depend on the individual because there'll be one person that might want a sketchbook of as many Supermans as they can get because Superman is their, is their favorite character. Or there might be another person, say, for example, Ian Levenstein, uh, that that might have a sketchbook full of Teen Titans and Young Justice because those are the, I, the, the characters that I grew up with. And I, and I decided to do that for my sketchbook, and that's the theme that I've, ran, that I've ran with this entire time. But then again, there are also guys that have been reading comics long enough where they might actually have characters that are more obscure that – they want to get from artists that you know like for example like a Dark Hawk or something like that or maybe they want all blackest night characters even ones that that aren't necessarily you know DC comics characters and uh, this is a personalization that really is up to the individual because this these are these are characters that they want drawn and it's not something that's new or anything because as long as I've been going to conventions I've seen people with these personalized sketchbooks because you know this is just the way that they decided to approach artists for fun both for them and for the artists because a lot of the times artists you know see these these requests and they're like wow I've never done this before this will be fun this will be a fun challenge of course there'll be the couple that are like what the hell are you asking me to do and then they won't do it but that's 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 the minority um, so I wouldn't exactly say it's a new trend. I don't know if exactly on, on the rise either, but maybe a little bit more now that I guess the internet does help that a lot because it's easy to find reference for things. Yes. You know, it's a little bit different than back in say, like, you know, in the eighties where if you asked an, an artist that's done nothing but Marvel to do, to draw you, you know, snapper car, they're not going to know, you know, they might not necessarily know how to draw snapper car. And then you'd first have to scour the, uh, you know, the four to find reference material for this artist. These days, they pop it up on their iPhone and they know exactly what they're drawing. I think that's helped the the personal market a little bit on these sketchbooks as well. So yeah, maybe it has r- risen a little bit, but it's certainly not exactly a new phenomenon. Okay. I, th- I think
1: it also ties into the fact that we want, those who do collect sketches, for the most part, want the original art side of it. By being original, I mean, how many times... Uh, up where you're at uh, right now, Ian. I mean, uh, our friend Frank Castle on the mm-hmm. boards. How ma- he has how many different
2: thousands of punishers, probably. Oh God, Pro- probably probably at least a, at least a thousand, uh, maybe more.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and he's getting from different artists. But I'm sure each artist, wa- he has it do slightly different or everything. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, our friend Zach Cruzy from DCBS and uh, the Contingent has his infamous sketchbook, which we all know and love it is the Vic sage punching out the presidents
0: yeah, a- I, I saw that I, I saw that for the first time uh, last year
1: yeah that, that that's original sketch, All right. greatest sketch hour is Vic sage punching out franklin roosevelt in the wheelchair I mean, <laughs> it's great you, you got you gotta ask him to bring it because it it'll make you it'll make you laugh oh, your ass God. off i mean i've got a, a great one gland did me one i think about a year and a half ago i've got it it is ollie queen standing there with the book of how to cook muppet and in the wall next to him is kermit on arrow in the wall with the double <laughs> L-. and it's just like what else <laughs> this is because you i mean like i said also you have to tailor it to what the artists will do that just their sense of humor i mean would i ask somebody like buzz to do that no would I ask somebody like Land or Shara Parr who have a – if you like doing just off-the-wall crap? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you've got to do. I mean, how many times has Bruce Tim probably done Batman or Harley Quinn? Probably thousands upon thousands. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why it's also fun to come up to an artist and ask him to do something that is out of their wheelhouse because it's – they'll do it just – they'll go, whoa, yeah. <laughs> kind of like what you were talking, uh, Ian, about your sketchbook of uh, Teen Titans characters. And I think we all know who you were talking about, Raph Suhu, with the uh, Superman sketchbook.
2: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, who, I, my favorite one, of course, would be the the one of Superman punching out Raph Suhu. Yeah.
0: Excuse me? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> hold on.
1: Raph, you sure wasn't you sure Raph, wasn't yellow claw?
0: Raf has a sketch of Superman punching him out.
2: Yes. Yes. And I, I believe it was done... Um, completely on a whim. I, I, I don't even know if he was, if he even asked the artist to do it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I forget, I forget who on the forums it was, but they produced a, a Superman punching him out. Raph, you have a disease,
0: and <laughs> I, I think you really need to get some help. I love you, dog. You my homie. I love you, but when I see you, we are going to have a talk. Anyway, all right.
2: One of the things that, that, that I also wanted to bring up about art that we might be able to you know work this whole personalization off of is that I know John mentioned that that he doesn't have many pieces of art from the more popular uh, artists, the ones that might charge an arm and a leg for for sketches. Like I mean, I know that the most expensive thing that I've ever bought was a sixty dollar Jamal Igel sketch, which which was worth every penny. But other than that, I I've, I usually go for like the twenty or the thirty dollar guys. I think one of the best things you can do, and this ties into both conversations that we're going to be having today, is that one of the best things you can do at a convention is try to find guys that you've never heard of that are knocking the pants off of sketches for $20 or less. It's hard to find, but they're definitely there at conventions, and I've come across a couple that that amazed me at how good they were and how cheap they were charging.
1: Outside of two sketches from Buzz and one from uh, Steve Bryant and one from Wachter, I have never paid more than $30 for a sketch, and usually I feel bad when I have to pay more than that because it's like, I'd rather take this money and go buy some trades, but I'm almost caught up completely on trades, so now I am going back and buying the original art.
0: (laughs) I remember um, at a convention last year, I was just walking around, and there was this lady. She had done some work in Johnny DC Comics, and she had also did some work for uh, Simpsons Comics. And I can't remember <laughs> her name offhand. I apologize for not knowing her name. And she just didn't have a lot on her schedule at the time. I want to start a sketch, like a montage a montage sketch of just a bunch of cartoon characters fighting each other. And I asked her, can you do Bartman versus Mojo Jojo? Her eyes just like lit up, and she didn't charge me much of anything at all for it. And it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. So now I can add like, you know, I can get somebody to add Hong Kong fooey to it, throw some SWAT cats over here, maybe some Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory, and it would just be like one big jam piece. But that was one of those things I just accidentally stumbled, stumbled upon her, and it was inexpensive. At that same convention, I bumped into Ray Dillon and Renee Del- DeLise, if uh, if uh, memory serves me right. Renee Deliz was doing sketches inexpensively, and I got probably one of the best Wonder Woman sketches. Uh next to Michael Schwartz's Wonder Woman sketch that he did for me um that I've ever seen yep. so and and then once again, completely unexpected because I had no idea one who this person was. I had no idea this person was in the end you know was doing comics, and lo and behold, so talented you know it's um it's nice to get stuff like that oh yeah, yeah.
1: and that's one other thing is when you look at their rates, if you're doing a jam piece may uh find out if they do have a slightly lower rate for jam pieces because I mean a lot of times they're charging that for eight and a half by eleven or eleven by fourteen Bristol board with stuff if they're just doing a small little character on a, a jam piece, they may charge you less or they may even if they see who the artists are they may want to do it for free or for a deeply reduced price mm-hmm. may may i'm going to reenter i'm going to reiterate that. <laughs> May.
2: Yeah, because you're got, not always gonna get that.
1: I mean, I've got my jam. Uh, my favorite jam piece is I've got it some uh, floating around here. The Green Arrow family, and I don't know where it is right now because the last I saw it was two years ago when, uh, what's who was it? Uh, oh yeah, the wonderful co-host of Indie Spinnerack, Mr. Charlito, took it and was supposed to add something to it and get it back to me, and I haven't seen it since Heroes Con two years ago. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice, dude. I'll get it <laughs> I mean,
1: that's the other thing to remember. Also, when how re, we're, factor in transportation because if you're like me and you have that jam piece, my jam piece is is a huge piece of work. So it's not easy to cart around in a convention necessarily. Yeah. You know? So factor that into it as well, because if you're going to be transporting it, you got to make sure you have a big enough portfolio to carry it in.
2: Well, I I, I remember making Mr. Mr. Deemer's day back at the first MegaCon that I ever went to because I found, uh, and I mean these are guys that I've had uh, on on Comic Timing multiple times now, and you know we I would consider them you know friends, considering that we've actually you know hung out outside of cons now, but uh, Travis Earls and. Uh, and Sean Cummings that I found at at Mega at MegaCon the first year, and Travis Earls is the artist. Sean Cummings is the writer. Tra- Travis was charging, oh god, it must it must mustn't have been more than than fifteen dollars. It might have even been ten dollars for full inked sketches. And I, I asked him to draw me old school Wonder Girl from Young Justice with the with the black with the black wig and the funky glasses and the, and the you know the the old school outfit. His eyes lit up. He said, "Dude, no problem." And he, he brought it out to me and it looked like it was drawn by drawn by ed bennis it was fantastic I brought over uh, I brought it over to Brian Deemer and Deemer got him to draw his uh, his century in his jam sketch and it came out came out perfect the jam sketches and regular sketches and everything if you find the right guy they can get that you can get it for cheap you're gonna have much more money in memories than you will be actually paying the artist yeah, if you know yeah. what I mean
0: and not only that, though, but say, for instance, because of all these people purchasing original art uh, from like the old school classic artists like the Herb Trimpies and all those, you know, like the Ron Wilson's and all those other cats, you mm-hmm. might be able to get original pages from them. I'm not saying on the super cheap, but actually at a very nice price because people, like a lot of people, will bypass on the stuff to get original original, personalized art. And a lot, yeah. of that, a lot of those old school pages, man, are beautiful. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, some of those pages, the way they were done, they don't do, they, you know, a lot of artists and a lot of the way comic books are made nowadays, pages aren't the same as they were back then as far as how comic books were put together. A lot of ways. There's still a few people that still do it the old school way, but not completely.
2: Yeah. Well, I think I've even heard stories about some guys who actually wound up with art that had uh, words, you know, because they were lettered because that's the way they did it back then. And you know, it was all in one in one process. And they 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 actually got a couple of you know completed pages that had letters on them that didn't necessarily show up in. the... The actual issue, like page, pages that had been changed at one point or the other, and they found the before the change artwork out there because it was done in a later stage. This this is stuff that you can find at cons sometimes for cheap because sometimes people don't even realize that they're not even completed pages or unpublished pages and the like. And you never know when you're going to find a great gem like that, you know?
0: No, you no, no. no seriously, Ian. Yeah, no, go ahead. It's all you, buddy.
2: Okay, uh, no, because no, I was going to say. In fact, w- one of the interesting things that I found is that I make fun of the you know the wizard cons all the time. I mean, be- because quite frankly, it's easy to. You know, and I mean, I mean, we've talked about it uh, before, you and me, Sean, about, you know, like the difference between a Wizard World Chicago or Wizard World Philly and one of the major cons and stuff like that. But these things are made for bin diving. You'll find so many more dollar bins and like $5 trades and 50% off trades at Wizard Cons than you will at the big stuff like New York Comic Con or San Diego or anything like that. Like I, I went to Big Apple Con and while it was absolutely freaking deserted on that Friday, I mean, I got an almost complete run of Young Justice in dollar bins, I paid forty-seven dollars for about fifty issues of Young Justice. No, you can't beat that. You cannot beat that, and and it's mainly because I I took the effort. I went there and I found a guy that actually had a Y section. <laughs> you know, usually the only thing you find in Ys are, are Young Blood. I never find Young Justice in the Ys, but sometimes you'll get really damn lucky. So if you go to the bins with a mission, and you don't just give up on the first bin that you find. If you're willing to actually dig deep and you know go to as many bins as possible to find exactly what you're looking for, you're gonna get really lucky. And not only did I find those 47 issues, but then I found at another dollar bin, uh, the Our Worlds at War Young Justice issue uh, <laughs> that I wound up getting, and I found an Hourman issue from DC One Million that otherwise is like almost impossible to find that I wound up getting for like maybe four bucks a piece. Uh, and that was really damn awesome. And, and that's, that's, that's all part of the, the bin diving experience. So if, if you wind up at a smaller convention, it's going to be a lot easier to bin dive, but do not give up on that first bin if you don't find what you're looking for.
0: It's kind of amazing the things you can stumble over. I mean, we've all had that great find. You talked about Young Justice. I've, you know, I've had a few great finds. I've got the entire run of Shogun Warriors um, at, at a convention. And, um, and that, during that same time, Um, A couple of months before, a friend of mine had sent me a few issues of Shogun Warriors to get my collection started. Now I have the complete run plus extra issues. Um, Let's see what else. All-Star Squadron, which uh, DC will never put in trade, which has been (laughs) mentioned on this show numbers of times. There's always those bins. Now, granted, sometimes, you know, some of them are in alphabetical order. Some of them are not. But either way, it all depends on how far you want to go, whether it be a quarter bin, whether it be a 50-cent bin, dollar bin, uh, you know, trade bins. Things of that nature. It all depends on how far you want to go. Not saying that you have to have a list with you sometimes, because every time I try to put together a list, I forget, and then I just go out and just find stuff. So, Mm -hmm. it just all depends. A lot of it just depends on your preference, on how you like to search for things.
2: You never know when you're going to find an O.J. Simpson comic. You are wrong. (laughs) I don't know.
1: Hey, don't forget, what did I send you? Some Ren and Snippy comics. Yeah. yeah, Ren and Snippy, and I sent him Beavis and Butthead comic, too. Sweet. Harsh. <laughs> That's what oh, it the, is. Harsh. He's bringing those to the crap comic tradeathon just because I can't bring because I'm going to be flying. <laughs> well, well,
2: well, well, were the Ren and Stimpy comics uh, written by Dan Slott? You know what? I've only looked at one of them. Okay, because I, he he actually wrote Ren and Stimpy for a while there when it was a, when it was a Marvel property. Uh, in fact, I I wound up getting uh, the trade for Ren and Stimpy. Back when I used to go to Bulletproof Comics in in Brooklyn, I wound up getting in, they used to have these grab bags where they basically just throw in whatever random crap they had lying around into a into a grab bag and they'd give it to you if you purchased more than 20 bucks. One time I wound up with an amazing Spider-Man, I think it was like number, it must have been lower than the, than the 200s, it was a John Romina Sr. issue that for some reason was in there that I was very happy about. I got a Mighty Thor issue randomly and one time I got the the Ren and Stimpy trade paperback, which collected like 20 issues of Ren and Stimpy, and most of which were written by Dan Slott, and and that you know I didn't notice it at the time because I didn't I wasn't even really really reading Dan Slott when I got it, but when I looked back on it and it was still on my shelf, I'm like, holy crap, that's freaking Dan Slott, man! What the hell? Hey man, you got to get your start somewhere. Yep, because I'm I'm not like the. Yeah,
0: you know, the biggest Ren and Stimpy fan in the world. It just cracks me up. You know, every you know all these guys, like whether it be Slot or whoever, wherever they all get their start somewhere in you know in smaller tier books. That's like the last book I thought he would start on. <laughs> you know, especially after reading because you know my first memories of Dan slot for me are the She-Hulk books. Yeah, you know that or, or the 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 Thing uh, short run series, which was actually really good. And I agree that that got a sh- that got a short lifespan. But Marvel always cancels the books I like anyway. So <laughs> but I, I won't even go. I won't even go hey, into that diatribe. No, I, won't. I won't. Nova's even. Nova and Guardian of the Galaxy is still running, man. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that's a fantastic book that more people need to read.
2: They still make Nova. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, I. Uh, I have right here in my hand uh, issue thirty two, and I believe issue thirty three has been released, and uh, it's still coming out. And Realm of Kings is running strong, so uh, well, good, Abnett and Lanning are, are are running crazy on the whole space thing.
0: Good, because you know I, I, I do like the Nova character. I admit once again one of those many books that I n- just don't have a, don't have the time to get to, or haven't had the time to get to. I you know mm-hmm. I read a lot of that you know pre annihilation stuff and um, right. some of annihilation. I'm just glad that Nova's finally made that big transition because I remember one of the first comics I remember actually trying to find back issues of as a kid was Nova. What happened is, is that my father w- went to like little convention. This is during the period of time in the early 80s where you know your comic book conventions were right at a Holiday Inn and yeah. so. He went to a comic book convention while he was out of town. He came back in town, and he brought me back, like, just random comics. And one was an issue of Nova, where Nova, on the front cover, there's Nova, like, you know, flying down, and he's about to fight Thor. And, like, I look at this cover, and even as a kid, I'm like, I don't know who this dude is, but he's about to get his ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, so I got, I got to read it. I, I'm like, and then I started reading. I'm like, who the hell is Richard Ryder? You know? And, <laughs> and, but it, I liked it. I was like, okay, this is really cool. I have to, I have to find more of these, but you know, the series had been long gone since then. And so I had to start, you know, learning how to, you know, quote unquote, bend dive. So, you know, go right. to comic book stores or my dad would take me to like one of those small mini conventions at a hotel and try to find these books. And the one thing I took from Nova is that when the book first started, um, I can't remember the art team that was originally on the books. Loved it, I, you know. I loved it. I thought it was great. And then I remember, as much respect as as much respect as I have for this artist, it was a bad fit for Nova, and it literally just turned me off from the series. Carmine Infantino became the artist on the book. And it was just oh, wow. a bad fit. It was huh. a real bad fit. It looked like Nova put on thirty pounds. Aye. Didn't really fit, and I didn't like the way he drew the Sphinx. And then the story was boring, and I just said, I- "I'm done." But the book was canceled, so I stopped, co- you know, trying to collect the book. I know way off on a tangent, but that's given with me. Nova's come a long way since then, and he was real bitch made when he was in the New Warriors when the New Warriors first came out, and they called oh, him yeah. and they called him Kid Nova, mm-hmm. bitch made flat
2: out <laughs> you know john Bashe, john basima uh, B- that is was the uh original penciler for nova back in 1976
0: that's one of the hardest working artists in the history of art john and sam yeah. mad
2: props to those dudes man yep. mad and, props to those dudes and created by marv wolfman wolfman
0: the wolf yes
1: that <laughs> is so cool <laughs> <laughs>
0: i know you and did not
2: just th- howl my show
1: i say those, <laughs> new, war- those new warriors had st- They had some bitches on there that they treated a lot of their characters pretty badly. Yeah. Nova, you had
2: Darkhawk, you had. Who else? Penance. No, 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 no. Don't you you dare call him Penance. His name is Speedball. Fucking Speedball, all right? Penance! (laughs) You suck. <laughs> uh I've got I've got I've got pain. Oh I've got spears in my nads. Oh
0: <laughs> see, I don't even fool I don't even fool with penance. I don't fool with that mess. no and didn't oh, they chef. didn't
1: they have a didn't Did, they, name, they oh, was go, go, go ahead John. Was it Namora or Namorita?
2: Um uh, Namarita. They had so, yeah.
1: what was she? What was her relation to Namor?
2: She is I, one of his cousins, I believe. She, she's—I think she's the daughter of Namora, actually. Yeah, yeah. In fact, she is because I remember Namora uh, mourning Namorita in Agents of Atlas. I thought,
1: but I thought Namora was the girl was like the wife or something of Namor at one point.
2: They're kissing cousins.
1: That's a horrible movie. <laughs>
0: Getting back on track. There is no such thing. No, sorry. no, there isn't. Not, not, on this show. Never. Not ever. For as many times as I crashed your show, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Dude, we, dude, we crash our, we can crash our own show. We don't need Ian's help. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> We're like already laying. Oh, dude. Oh, oh come on, soon, man. Dude. Too, too soon. soon. He's <laughs> still alive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is the one thing? from a con this year that you hope to find? I'll start with you, John. I don't
1: really know. I'm going to probably... Look and see once again what the $5 trade guy has at Heroes Con because there's some more stuff I would need to get out of the Marvel side, which I've noticed 90% of what he has is either Marvel or Image. There's a few Dark Horse, but mostly Marvel and Image books. If you find a Brigade trade for a dollar, let me know. Dude, if I find Brigade for a dollar, I'll poop on it and give it to you for free. <laughs> you don't have to poop on it. <laughs> for me to poop on. <laughs> I think I'm also. I've got about about 500 comics that I need that I need to finish out runs or starting. And- and a couple of them that I want to get this year. So mostly I'm going to be looking for some bin diving when I hit this uh, Heroes Con and when I hit the uh, Cape Con and Cape Girardeau. Uh The other two big cons I'm going to be going to are going to be Windy City Con, of course, CGS Super Show 2, non-Electric Boogaloo. That and what's that other con? Kind of Windy City? I'm going to mostly be doing sketches, and that's what I'm probably going to be doing at Windy City Super Show Two is mostly just going to be going for friends. Yeah, understandable. Uh,
0: what about and, oh, and, some,
1: and some original artwork because I'm going to be flying and I will not be able to carry shit in
0: that. Um, what about you, Ian? What, what's, the, what's the what's that thing? The one thing you're looking for? The Mape. What is the Mape? The Shady Mape, Ols. Oh, Shady Maple. Oh, out in Reading, uh, okay, PA. Oh,
2: uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, why else would I be going to Super Show Two? I mean, that's the that's obviously the only reason. No. <laughs> <laughs> that that is that is a main factor for, for me to be waking up in the morning, at, you know you know earlier than nine a.m. is to head out to the before the before the day starts and um, get some scrapple in wait, me, myself feel good.
0: For for for, uh, for for those who don't know, uh, the Shady Maple <laughs> is this huge Uber buffet. The uh, the place is the size of a, of an of an arena league stadium. Yeah, it's pretty huge. All types of food. Take all you can eat, but eat all eat all you can take. It's uh, scrumpulescent.
1: Mm-hmm. It is a it is a it is a
2: casino buffet on steroids. Yeah. With Amish people, yeah, yeah, and 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 the Amish know how to make blueberry pancakes. Oh my God, do they know how to make blueberry pancakes and bacon? Let, let me let me get into what what I actually am looking forward to, other than the Mape and the CJS Super Show, which we all know why I'm going there anyway because it's friends, it's fun, it's twenty five cent uh, you know bins, it's everything free that ticket. you already know, free ticket that also helps, and uh, and you know everything else in that it's a and it's a train ride right away for me. I'm definitely looking forward to going to Chicago for the first time because uh, I have officially procured my uh, tickets for C2E2. Oh, congrats. And thank you. It actually happened last night, actually, because I was able to get a ticket from JFK to Chicago for $56. Um, excuse me? Uh, yeah, $56 on JetBlue. Oh, okay, JetBlue. That's all you had to say. Okay, cool, cool. I'm sorry, yes. I'm
3: sorry. Fuck you! <laughs>
2: And best of all, I have a one hundred dollar credit on my flight from San Diego, so uh, I-, I wound up paying for both my-, my my girlfriend and my and my own tickets. And we wound up spending, I think, $156 all said and done. So that that worked out lovely. Yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to that because it's a con I've never been to. And I know that it's going to be you know, huge from, from the description and read knows how to throw a show. I'm looking forward to hopefully going back to San Diego because last year was amazing for that. And mainly the thing that I'm looking forward to most out of all these cons is not just going to the convention, but experiencing the town that it's in. And that's, that's something that I've learned to do over the past. I mean, I might sound pretentious when I say it, but it's something that I've learned to do over the past uh, year or so. Is don't just go to the con. That, that there's there's gonna be other parts of the city that are worth exploring um that you might not necessarily do if you just stay for third for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever. You know, even if you can get in a day early and catch some local attraction, then you're gonna you're gonna probably enjoy your experience a whole lot more. Cause you know, the fact that I was able to go to the zoo and a Padres game in San Diego made the entire week feel better for me. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Basically, not just going to conventions, but also exploring the city and finding. Finding out how it runs. Well, um, well,
0: not only that, but you can also find some eateries and some, uh, you know, some nice well, sure. eateries and joints that you may not have in, in your mm-hmm. local neck, of, you know, in your neck of the woods that are just off the yep. hook. Oh
2: yeah! Um, I mean, I, I miss in MegaCon. Uh, you know, first year I was there, the Steak and Ale was fantastic, but Steak and Ale and Metegans went out of business, so I can't, I can't go back to there, which makes me sad. But but whatever, there's plenty of other places. Con wise probably hitting up Megacon if I'm back which I should be if not then I'll I'll obviously be at Emerald City but probably gonna be Megacon because I'll probably be back by mid-March C2E2 is a definite like I said New York Comic Con when it comes around no shit (laughs) and a bunch of anime conventions which is you know something that I can also talk about if you want uh, the difference between anime cons and comic cons a little bit
0: actually you know what I would like it if you did that because that's something even I need to get hip to Uh, what okay cool what is the difference between between those two types of cons
2: well uh, um mostly the age, um, I, I would say because while while the age range for a comic convention can go anywhere from I guess the teens to the forties, you know, and sometimes even more than that. Usually with anime conventions you're gonna find a crowd that tops out at about 30. And and that's the very upper echelon when it comes when it comes to age. So most most are anywhere between 13 and maybe 26, 27, something like that. And also what you know as an artist alley is something a lot more professional than than what you'll find at a, an anime artist alley, because usually artist alleys at comic conventions will have a nice range between, you know, the professionals and the and the up-and-comers and the indie guys and all that, it's almost straight up-and-comers and indie guys at anime conventions, and most of them don't really have wares to the hawk. They're just showing off art. You'll, you'll occasionally find some really nice pieces and, and maybe even some, some nice manga and comic books that are self-published. But you gotta dig deep to find them. You'll find them mostly at Otakon, which is the big one on the East Coast. Anime Boston and Anime Next. Probably you'll find more of a you know the the local guy off the street who thinks he can make it big and really really can't. So that's that's sort of the difference there. That and a lot more costumes. I, I mean, a lot more costumes at anime conventions in yeah, the rock.
0: Now, now as far as these costumes go, um, it is you know you said anime and everything. Mm-hmm. Are these people that wear these costumes? Are they like? hardcore with it i mean they know everything about the character and sometimes they even like role play as a character while they're at the con mm-hmm.
2: you'll find those and then you'll find guys who just really like dressing up as one particular character so you know in, in that particular aspect it is similar to comic conventions because you know you'll find guys that are totally into being wolverine and then you'll find guys that are just walking around with claws i'd say the ratio probably stems a little bit farther into the will act as a character when they're dressed up as a at anime conventions than you will at comic conventions. Yeah, I will say that. The other thing that I wanted to say is that you'd be surprised, specifically at New York Anime Fest. I didn't buy any anime or manga when I was at New York Anime Fest. You know what I bought? $5 trades. Because there was one guy that was selling $5 trades and 50% off trades there, and I cleaned house like you would not believe. So there's usually going to be at least one to two people at a convention that will be selling comic books at an anime convention, they're the guys that are usually the most busy. (laughs) Seriously, they're usually the most busy because there's guys that don't expect to find them. You'd be amazed at some of the good finds you can find at these guys a lot of the times.
0: You've talked about Megacon a number of times. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Now, as far as Megacon goes... The way that con works, it's both it's, – is it a, a, a nice mix of comics and anime or –
2: Yes. Yes, it is. Um, the convention is split in, in certain ways because like you'll find uh, anime programming on one level and you'll find comic programming on another level. But the, the inside, the actual dealer's room, uh, has a wonderful mix between anime and comic books because – um, you know, you walk down an aisle and you'll find a couple guys that are you know selling Japanese toys uh, directly next to a guy with dollar bin. You know, um, and it works out nicely. I mean, I mean the the two the two crowds mingle very well. Um, you'll find some you know random chance of you know crazy anime things every now and then, but if you're willing to put up with that, the creators are friendly and approachable at MegaCon, which is fantastic. And not only will you find those, but you'll also find, you know, anime voice actors and wrestlers and stuff like that. So it's a total mixed bag, and it works perfectly. It's the perfect mesh between pop culture, anime, and comics at Megacon. It's it's one of my favorite conventions to go to, no question. Oh, cool. And this year's New York Comic Con will hopefully be the same thing because I don't know if you know about that, but – they're combining New York Anime Fest with New York Comic Con. What? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I take it they got more room to... Uh, they got they more. sure did. Okay. They, they got the entire convention. Yeah, I mean, the, the entire convention center, the entire Jacob Javits convention center is going to be devoted to New York Comic Con slash New York Anime Fest.
0: That convention is going to be absolutely wild. Mm-hmm.
2: Hell yeah. It'll be yep. like, It'll be like San Diego, San Diego East. Dude, <laughs> separate artist alleys. There's going to be an anime artist alley and a comic book artist alley. That's nice. one on one level, one on the other. It's going to be amazing. Man, that, <laughs> that is that's
0: going to be real nice. Wow, seriously, that <laughs> honestly blows me away.
2: <laughs> I just I blew like, your mind. Fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to make an official announcement. I will be at San Diego in 2011, not 2009, 2010, but it will be uh, t- next year. I will be in San Diego for the entire week because my wife was like, you know, we got the money, so we're going to go to San Diego. If you want, it's like, okay.
0: <laughs> no, I'll, um, hopefully i'll see you there brother i um, was so like you get
1: to go to mecca
3: yay,
0: <laughs> yay. apologies apologies to all my west coast, west coast peeps uh this year 2010 financially is just not a strong year uh yeah. for me and pkd media my um my convention season's kind of kind of close-knit you know march cgs super show uh april the pittsburgh comic-con uh may uh, summit city uh, Summit City Con, which is uh, being run by the um, fine gentlemen at uh w- women and gentlemen at, at a DCB service out in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and then in June I uh, will be at Heroes Con. And the reason why those four cons are on the docket is because at least three of those cons were taken care of and put in the books for last last year. Like either tables were bought, or I was asked, or I was asked, "Hey, come on, come on, come on out." So all that was booked. The Heroes Con stuff I wrapped up uh, not too long ago, but the money's the series is just money. Funding is low, and uh, I mean I appreciate the donations that uh, we received uh, to you know for Super Show and the donations we received for um, for Heroes Con. You know it helped out because if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be going to those cons either. So 2011, I hope that we can re- get out to the West Coast because I really want to affiliate and. And go to go to WonderCon. I want to go to Long Beach Con, San Diego Comic Con. People say you should at least try it once, because you can read articles and you can get like you know secondhand and thirdhand uh, uh, commentary about it. But it's one of those things you, you don't you, you got to go and experience it for yourself. But at the same time, yeah. I don't know why I just I'm not up for it, and I don't know why I have that attitude. Because normally I'm very open to stuff like that. But at well, the same it's time, o-
2: it's overwhelming, dude. It's overwhelming. Okay.
0: Or maybe I just have I still have that sour taste in my mouth because I couldn't get. That Masters of the Universe art book.
2: So um, <laughs> I tried. No, I, I tried. know. I know. I know you, oh, homie. Homie. I know you tried. So I'm not <laughs> no, mad no, at no. you. Yeah. No. 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 I, I know. I know you're not mad at me. I'm just. I'm. I'm just saying. You would not believe the insanity behind that. I mean, the the fact that, and it wasn't even just that because I I wanted to get the uh, the different uh, Hal Jordan figures also, mm-hmm. and you needed to get. Freaking tickets and wait online, and and uh, you weren't even guaranteed to get them if you got the tickets. And it was it was a insanity, sir. It was like waiting online for Twilight. It's not anything you ever want to do.
0: Yeah, and see, I just you know, with me, I don't I don't like that kind of stuff. I just think there's always just easier ways to handle that. But when you have crowds that big and pre sales, I mean. Days of, you know, like the four-day passes or five-day passes or whatever, those mm-hmm. are done. And now, like, you know, certain certain days, those tickets are all sold out. And, you know, people have to plan for that con so far ahead of time. I, I, that kind of annoys me. I'm not saying that I, I should be able to wait till like, the week before the show to say, you know what, I want a four-day pass. No, no, yeah. no, no. I understand that. But when people have to start pre-ordering tickets or you know or now you know, now or even yeah. before, you know like even like as soon as the con ends, mm-hmm. you know pre-order your stuff now before it's gone. I'm like okay,
2: this is getting a little fucking out of hand. There's there's certain hotels that are already sold out. Yeah,
0: it just that that kind of drives me nuts. But I will you know if if I get to go out to the west coast, I want to experience Long Beach WonderCon. I want to experience those cons because that's about the creators. it's about you know those, those, those uh, you know cheap bins of, of books. It's a good chance for me to, to network with people I've never met before. you know what I mean? plus it gives me a chance oh, to yeah. ha- hang out with with West Coast peeps uh, such as Hell's Fire on the comic forms, uh, Dave DeWunche super ugly of uh, the Geek savants, all, all those dudes and I want anyone. Know, I really want to do that. yeah, yeah. 2011 I'm hoping to go west. Uh, at least, at least for one con, uh, if, if go I go West, young man. At least for one, that's the hope. and I definitely want to experience other cons in 2011 as well. I want to get to MegaCon. I want to get to DragonCon. Now, have you ever been to? Uh, have either of you ever been to DragonCon before? No,
1: I never no, have. No, no, but it's supposed to be basically like MegaCon, but further north.
0: See, and I, and I want to peep that. I definitely want to peep that because that con, I think it like runs from like
1: Friday to Monday. I believe yeah, so, cause yeah. Because it, yeah. it's always over Labor Day weekend? I, you, um, I, I think you're right. Whichever yes. one it is yeah. that's uh, at the end of August. It's Is that yeah. Labor Day or Memorial Day? Um, hmm. Labor, Day I, think, Labor I, Day. I think it's
2: Labor Day, yeah. yeah it's Labor yeah. Day, yes.
1: Yeah. The, the two people to talk about that was either uh, is Eric Peterson Greencapped and Darren Noel the uh, illustrious rainbow cloak okay cool <laughs> i may have to talk to
0: him because I mean, I, like i said it's not going to happen this year and like unless we get some sponsorship or some funding but until then i just you know keep doing what we got to do and and i'm yeah. happy with the cons that we that i'm going to this year because i could right. be going to no conventions at all you know what i'm saying so you know hey i'm happy with what i got now Let's go ahead and wrap this up before we uh, finish this. Do any of you have do's and don'ts uh, for cons? I have a do. Do bring hand sanitizer because certain people are funky and they don't wash their hands and they try to spread germs on you. I'm a germaphobe sometimes, not to the extent of monk levels, but um, hand sanitizer, always a good thing. Have some. As far as a don't goes, you know what? Look, a lot of geeks or geek culture... Um, as a whole, tends to get a bad rep because you know they. You know a lot of people will put a. Uh, you know these folks are not. You know non-social. They're not polite. They're rude and all this stuff. You know, and then not all. Not all people that are part of this culture are like that. For those that aren't and don't have any manners, please get some, because <laughs> I'm 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 a polite dude. But I'm to the point now I've dealt with some people. I'm not talking about people that like come to our table or anything. I'm just talking about walking around and and conversing with, you know, conversing with others or trying to get a sketch from so-and-so or looking at books. And people are just, you know, they're just rude. I just want to bitch slap some people sometimes. Manners. Manners count, y'all. That's all I'm going to say about that. Manners count.
1: Do y'all have any do's or don'ts? Do respect personal space. Which means if your ass has a rolling backpack or you have your short box or long box on a uh, little rolly thing, learn how to control the sun, bitch and do not run over my goddamn foot three <laughs> times in two days. Okay, uh. that's a, uh, Do wear comfortable shoes. That's actually a bitchy from two years ago, and that's past you, by the way. Don't not take a shower.
0: You. Oh, yeah, no, shower up on the real tip.
1: Uh, <laughs> the only other do's <laughs> or don'ts I would have to say is. Do enjoy yourself. Have fun. If you go to a con, don't necessarily be who you are back home. Let yourself have fun. Don't be stuck in who you are and who you think you should be. Just let loose and have some fun and meet people because if it wasn't for going to cons two years ago, I mean, I never would have met – the. I would never have met a large group of friends that I have. I mean, you got. if you're going, let yourself have fun meet people enjoy yourself go out if they're socializing afterwards talk to people find out where it is and go if you have to hang out in a, in a bar lobby go ahead and hang out in the bar lobby if it's a, just a group of people that if they're doing the costume ball go to that have fun that's the only thing really i would say is a is a major do have fun and enjoy all aspects of the con yeah. what what about you Ian?
2: Well, I, I've got I've got a couple of basic do's and don'ts. Like I already mentioned, you know, do explore the city because you know you're there uh, for two reasons. You know, you're there because you're there to explore the convention, and, and as well, remember that the convention is actually in a town, and this town might have uh, or a city, and they're, they're going to have their own flavors. So I would say that don't be afraid to approach total strangers because you're well, okay, unless you're five. Um, <laughs> don't uh, <laughs> you know don't be explained, you know afraid to approach total strangers because you're all there uh, to experience the same thing you're all there because you like comic books you could very well find a friend for life at a, at a convention because you see somebody with a flash comic book and you're a flash fan and you start a conversation and before you know it, you're, drink- you're, you're, you're drinking with them after the show or, you know, you're going out to a movie or whatever and you're having a good time. However, do not be socially awkward. And what I mean is don't start off a conversation with flesh is cool, you know, <laughs> yeah, and expect yeah. it to go somewhere because I've had I've had experiences like that when I'm waiting on a line. Um, <clears throat> one that one that I've told on on comic timing, I think Shaman have been on the episode was when I was at New York Comic Con. Uh, Waiting for a sketch from Todd knock this socially awkward man in front of me turns to me and goes, Yeah, Spider Man is awesome, isn't it? And I'm like, What? He's like, Yeah, I mean, Spider Man is awesome. Like, that's why I'm on this line because, like, Spider Man's awesome. And, like, the Obama issue was good. This is the guy who drew it, right? And I'm like, Oh God, this is going in a horrible, horrible direction. I need to just avert my eyes entirely. Like the guy, the guy knew nothing about Todd Knock, He knew nothing about like Spider Man. Past, past the fact that he was awesome, and those were the only words that came out of his mouth for five minutes until he left the line. That's not how you have a conversation with someone, you know. If you if if you started off with you know Spider Spider, Spider- Man is awesome, don't just say that. Say oh, I see you got a Spider Man comic there. You know, do you like it? And and then start it off. You know, be social. Do not be socially awkward. It's 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 easy to do if you actually put the effort in. Some of the other things that I would say. Do and not not just uh, you know personal space for uh, for people uh, that that are around you, but do respect the personal space of creators. Oh yeah, and I've definitely. Seen, I've definitely. S- yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I've seen way too many instances where people will get up in the face of creators when when they're drawing. The guy has nothing nowhere to move his hands. You know, because you're looking over him, you're bent over, staring directly into his nose, you know, while he's drawing, and it, it just doesn't work out. That, and if you're talking to a person, you know, yeah, you can do eye contact, but don't do nose to nose, because they don't really like that too much. And, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's pretty much it that I can think of, other than don't walk around a con with a cardboard sign saying Twilight sucks, okay? <laughs> okay. B- because, no, well, well, no, most mostly because, um, and Kevin Smith put it best. This was this was online a little while ago. It was from San Diego Comic Con where you know he made a comment about Twilight saying, Yeah, but you know what, these 13-year-old girls five years from now are gonna be 18. It's not just because, oh wow, they're 18, but yeah, they're the next generation of fans. There, There are people walking around into Twilight. They're the next generation of science fiction fans. And if you try to, you know, rub in their face, oh Twilight sucks, oh Twilight sucks. Why are they going to want to go anywhere past Twilight? You know, you're you're not painting yourself or comic book fans in a positive light. So if you don't like it, you don't like it. You can say so. You can give your reasons. Don't just scream Twilight sucks on the top of your lungs and walk around a convention with a sign that says Twilight sucks. Because that's just not the way to go about it.
0: Is there anything, uh, Ian, that you like to uh, pimp, uh, say, for instance, your podcast, any types of blogs or anything of that nature?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Well, for one thing, there is that comic timing podcast that Mr. Pryor loves appearing on, and uh, Mr. Carroll has appeared on multiple times. Speakgeekspeak.com slash comic timing. Definitely, by the time this episode is out, at least... Episode 100 Part 1 will be out, if not Part 1 and 2. Episode 100 Part 1, not only uh, – and this is something that, that that I figured I might as well you know, stick in there for the episodes because these are special occasions. Um, not only is it uh, about a two-and-a-half-hour episode with Sean and Jim and Mandy, uh, Super Mandy, from their forums. That's a uh, – that writes the Super Mandy column for RagingBullets.com, but I'm also sticking in – lost moments in comic timing history, which is a lot of the conversations that I had still had on my recorder from before the episode would actually start basically the test recordings. There were a bunch of really good conversations in in there that had nothing to do with the topic at all that I wound wound up splicing through episodes uh, 100 part 1 and 100 part 2 that'll be in there. So definitely check that out at speakgeekspeak.com slash comic timing and if you want to listen to old geek speak reports or whatever, that's at speakgeekspeak.com
0: And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO one on the Rock Solid Steelbots, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.